0: It was around this time, nearly 100 years ago, the year was 1903, December 1903, where the unthinkable had happened, something that had never occurred in all of human history had occurred, something that all of humanity deemed impossible was now possible, The Wright brothers had taken flight. 1903, December, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their quote-unquote flying machine off the ground. Before it was an airplane, it was a flying machine. The Wright brothers accomplished something utterly unthinkable, and they were so thrilled and so overjoyed that they sent a telegraph to their sister Catherine with this message, this is what the Wright brothers, who, after they had accomplished flights, they wrote this telegram to their sister Catherine and said, This we have actually flown 120 feet, exclamation point. We will be home for Christmas. So Catherine takes this telegraph and she's so excited, she goes to the local newspaper the local news publisher, the editor, and hands the telegraph, and the publisher looks at the telegraph and says, oh, how nice. The Wright brothers will be home for Christmas. All the while completely missing that we, humanity, we who could walk on ground, we who could swim in the water, but can never fly through the skies, He heard that they just took flight and missed it entirely. Literally, the person that was supposed to be the one to publish this good news, to share this good news, to talk about how the world will never be the same again after this news was just thinking about the right boys being home for Christmas. Now, that's not a bad thing. But I thought, as I read that, I'm like, that is a perfect analogy, not for what happened 100 years ago, but what can happen today, is that we can get so used to and accustomed to hearing the best news ever published, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that when we hear the Christmas story, we lose our awe and we lose our wonder that God, who is infinite, became finite that God became man and dwelt among us. It's almost too much for us to comprehend. I mean, think of it. When's the last time you were outside at night and there was a clear sky and you looked up to the starry expanse and you just felt simultaneously small, but also in awe of the size and the bigness of the universe. Not only the bigness of the sky, But then you started to think about how each star is in of itself, its own solar system with its own planets. My goodness, to think that the creator of all of this became a little, fragile, tiny baby. It should fill us with awe and wonder. We can absolutely, like that newspaper editor, miss the point. Forget the point think that this is just only about traditions and about presents and about family. All those things are good in their proper place. Oh, but there's something even better. There's something even more wonderful that should lead us to awe and wonder. One theologian, Wayne Grudem, he actually put it like this, talking of Christmas, speaking of the incarnation. Are we familiar with this word? It's a theological word to say God took on flesh. John 1 says the word became flesh. God dwelt among us. Wayne Grudem, he says this. The incarnation, Christmas, is by far the most amazing miracle in the whole Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing than the creation of the universe even. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God, Grudem says, became man and joined himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God becomes one person with finite man. He says, quote, will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Wow. Wow. Now, 1 Corinthians reminds us that the most important miracle was the resurre- resurrection. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without Jesus' resurrection life, we have no hope of eternal life. So that is crucial and essential to our salvation. But as far as the majesty, as far as the miracle, as far as trying to wrap our minds around this, Grudem says there is no greater majestic or mysterious mystery than what we call Christmas. I mean, think about it. Jesus was both infinite and an infant. Jesus was both eternal and yet born. Jesus was both supporting a universe and yet needed the arms of a young mother to carry him around. Jesus was both the king of angels and yet a lowly carpenter's son. This is Christmas. This is what it's about. This is what it's always been about. So let us return back to this story. Let us hear it with a fresh hearing, see it with new eyes, and enter into some of the perspective of the people involved, including that lowly carpenter. His name is Joseph. If you grew up in any church at any point, Christmas, you're going to be familiar with... Mary and Joseph. What's so interesting about Joseph is many people are familiar with his name, yet the Bible doesn't spend too much time explaining who Joseph was. For example, the Bible has over 31,000 verses in it and only 16 verses actually refer or talk about Joseph. In Joseph's life, we don't see him quoted ever. There is no direct quotes From Joseph in Scripture. In fact, there's no reference to Joseph in the book of Acts or in any New Testament epistle. And yet, his faithful life, him answering the call, has given encouragement to men and women throughout all generations. Joseph, who is someone like us. Joseph, a carpenter. Joseph, with dreams not of the Old Testament Joseph that he would one day reign and rule. No, Joseph's dreams were probably much more simpler. To get married to this girl Mary that he really likes. To raise a family, to do his business, and to honor his God. Now you must think about it, considering the scope and the majesty of Christmas, that God would entrust His son, as a baby, would entrust his redemptive plan to this young carpenter, to this young lady named Mary. I mean, what Joseph must have thought, what Joseph must have felt. Dad, do we remember the first time we took our sons or our daughters, our firstborn home from the hospital? Maybe you did a home birth or whatever it might be. You went home what? I know know what I was thinking. Are we sure this is allowed? Are we sure that it's okay for me to take home Ethan, our firstborn? Are you sure, doctors and nurses, you're not coming home with me? Because I'm almost positive I cannot handle this. And then think about this. Joseph was entrusted with the very Son of God and the Savior of the world. Oh, what? Wait! But also, what excitement. You see, what needed to happen was Joseph's story needed to change. His story wouldn't just be about a carpenter anymore. His story was being told by the master storyteller. Matthew chapter 13 tells us that Joseph was a carpenter, a builder. The extra Greek word for carpenter is technon. If you were a master builder, a master carpenter, you are called, ready, an architecton, which is where we get the word architect. So even though Joseph at this stage was just a carpenter, he is part of the master builder story. God is the architect telling a story that goes way before Joseph. And that's why the beginning of Matthew's gospel is so important. Matthew's gospel doesn't necessarily begin with all kinds of pomp and circumstance. It doesn't begin with uh, thunder and lightning. It begins with a long list of names that if we're honest with each other, we probably all skip. The New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, the birth of the Son of God begins with a long list of names. Why? Reader's Digest back in the, uh, the 80s, in the 1980s, They tried to make a Reader's Digest version of the Bible. And of course, Reader's Digest by name means they're making things more digestible to readers. So what they did is they said, okay, what parts of Scripture do people usually skip over? We're just going to cut it out and give them something more digestible. So they cut out the genealogies. They cut out the lineage. They cut out the heritage. But oh, no, there's a reason for all these names. These names connect Old Testament with New, but also remind us of God's faithfulness from person to person, from generation to generation, and that God is the architecton. God is the master builder. He is telling a story not just through Joseph's life, but also through David and Abraham and all these other people now culminating, now leading. This is the apex. This is the crescendo. It all revolves around this. God has come. Jesus Christ is born. This is the fulfillment, as it says here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, of both promises made to Abraham and to David, that Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. God made covenants. So we make contracts, right? Contracts are legal agreements between people. A covenant is a spiritual agreement between people and God. God made a promise to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that someone would always sit on his throne. Someone from David's family, someone from his line, his lineage, would always sit on the throne. And yet here at this time where Jesus arrives, there's no one sitting on the throne, at least in Jerusalem. No, they're under the occupation of Rome. They're under the foot in the tyranny of the Roman Empire. So has God's promises failed? Has God forgotten his people? Did he forget them when they were in exile in Babylon? Not only is Joseph the son of David, he's also the son of Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand in the seashore. And then, yes, That through Abraham's descendants, all nations will be blessed. That has come to fruition in a secondary fashion. But you want to know what the primary fulfillment of that promise is? Jesus Christ. All nations have been blessed through this birth, through this life, through his death, his resurrection. There's no scholar anywhere, no historian or sociologist that will deny or doubt that Jesus Christ is the most influential person who's ever walked on planet Earth, and he was born to a poor Jewish family in some small Middle Eastern country. I love this story. It reveals the nature of our good God, right? It also reveals the nature of who God calls. That's Joseph. Man, I hope you're especially encouraged by this teaching in this story today. Let's look at verse 18, shall we? All eyes on the Bible, Matthew 1, verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let's pause right there. We need to remember the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't it fascinating of course, it is discouraging that people use the name of Jesus Christ, not in adoration, but as a curse word. But do you ever wonder yourself, why are people even using that name? Like, why, when they're angry, they're upset, they want to get out their, their anger, do they invoke the name of Jesus? Like, why? Jesus is on people's lips all the time, but it's not in adoration, No, the name of Jesus Christ is significant. We're going to hear why he was named Jesus in a moment, which means the Lord saves. But the title of Christ is significant as well. The name Jesus Christ did not originate with Joseph. Yet at the end of this passage, Joseph will be given the honor. Can you think of this, man? Be given the honor of taking the name given by God and bestowing it upon the Savior of the world. Amazing. Awesome. And we do have to remember this, that Jesus Christ, his name is given to describe what he's going to do, and Christ is the title describing who he is. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Mashiach. Christ isn't the family's last name, right? It's not like Joseph's last name was Joseph Christ, and he was married to Mary Christ, and then lived at the end of Christ's cul-de-sac. No, it's his title. He is the long sought after, longed hoped for, Messiah and King. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. So this Jesus Christ and his birth took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed. Can we say that word together? Betrothed to Joseph. And what does that mean? Well, that's different than our contemporary system of engagement, our contemporary understanding of engagement. Back in that day, when you would get engaged, you would get betrothed, and it was a legal, binding, and public declaration, meaning that once you were betrothed, you were pretty much married. The only way to get out of the betrothal was to divorce your spouse. In fact, if, God forbid, one of the fiancés would perish, the other one that's still left would be considered a widow. That's how serious this was. In fact, a later rabbinical Jewish literature, the Mishnah, would say that if anyone committed adultery during betrothal, it was a greater sin than if they committed adultery during the marriage. Wow, this is really serious, serious stuff. So Joseph is betrothed to Mary, and that's why the Bible about to use language That talks about Joseph as her husband, even though they're not married yet. To talk about how he's going to divorce her quietly, even though they're not married yet. In all intents and purposes, they have that agreement. So, here it is. uh, When his mother Mary, when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, here is when the scandal happens. Here's the scandal of Christmas. Before they came together, she was found to be with child... From the Holy Spirit. Some of us men, we remember how excited we were to marry our girl. Remember? I remember. It's an awesome day. I was so excited to marry Melissa. So excited. Now, envision this. Let's say a couple of weeks before you're about to marry your wife, she comes to you and says, Honey, I'm pregnant. Now, all of a sudden, you have all kinds of questions. You have all kinds of frustrations and, yes, anger filling your heart and your mind. What? How's that possible? Your whole world gets turned upside down. You were to be my wife. You were to be the mother of my children. You were to be the one that I spend my life with, that we get old with, that we're partners forever. And before we even get married, you're cheating on me? And then it even gets weirder. Your fiancé comes to you and says, I'm pregnant And guess who the dad is? God! Isn't it funny how we can hear these stories and because we're just so inoculated to religious traditions? I mean, enter into what Joseph must have felt. What he must have thought. Wait a second, Mary. You're telling me that you're pregnant and that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What he does next is altogether astounding. Because I could probably guess that even in our day and age where we're not a very religious society, many of us men would have acted in a way that did not honor God and did not care about Mary. But Joseph does, and Joseph will. How many of us are familiar with that Christmas carol, What Child Is This? Remember that? I'll read the lyrics and not sing it. You're welcome. It goes like this. What child is this? who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. You see, Joseph's question is not what child is this, but whose child is this? It would have been all of our questions. But thankfully, the story does not end there. Verse 19, all eyes back on Scripture. Story continues in verse 19, Matthew chapter 1. And her husband, Joseph, Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. A just man. What does that mean? Well, that means that as a carpenter, he probably was not a wealthy man, but he had a different kind of wealth. He had his reputation. He was known as a good man, as a just man, as an honorable man. But here's the paradox of the situation. Because he's a just man, he's going to quietly divorce his wife. Because he's a just man, he's going to divorce his wife. But at the same time, because he's a just man, it also means that he's going to do it in a way that reduces Mary's perceived shame. That's amazing, isn't it? In the sense that Joseph, he threads that needle that many of us can't figure out. That being just isn't just about being right all the time. And being just doesn't mean that you take religious law, and because you're angry, and because you're frustrated, you use God's law as a hammer to beat people into submission. He had every right to. He could point a text from the Old Testament, right? But what he does, God says, no, he's a just man, so he was going to do what he should have done, but he didn't want extra shame on Mary. I genuinely think, folks, he really loved Mary. I genuinely think he loved his fiance and future bride. So he's a just man. He's a good man. And that's why I think Joseph is a good example of what it means to be a just man. Jesus, even when he called Matthew, the author of this gospel, Matthew, who was a reviled tax collector. Matthew, you can read about it in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and the religious establishment is losing their minds. How can you claim to be holy, Jesus, and spend time with these awful, terrible people? And then Jesus says this. Jesus describes, I think, Joseph's heart right now. He says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, meaning that Joseph understood this, that yes, he's a just man, but the only reason he can stand in God's presence is because of his mercy. He was a just man, but because he knew he needed God's mercy, he was able to extend that mercy to Mary. This is very, very important. Ready? We're going to get to it in a couple minutes too, but I want to say it now. A lot of us guys, if I can speak to the men real quick. A lot of us guys, we haven't sinned publicly. We haven't sinned spectacularly. We're good men, honest men, hardworking men that are doing the best we can. But don't ever think for a minute. If we haven't had to experience the shame of addiction, the shame of a public failing, that we need God's grace any less. We need God's grace not only on our worst day, but our best day. Not only do we need God's grace for our, our bad deeds, we need God's grace even for our good deeds. There's always a little bit of us in everything we do. Always a little bit of selfishness. Always a little bit of stubbornness. Always trying to manipulate the circumstances, even if people are impressed By our lifestyle, Joseph understood what it meant to be just. Obey God's law, obey God's word, and yet have a heart full of mercy. Verse 20 says this. Verse 20, the story continues. But as he considered these things, behold. Friends, whenever you hear behold, it's less about direction and it's more about devotion. It means pay attention. Something awesome is about to go down. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Friends, let's read that together. Ready? Joseph, son of David, what? It's very important. Keep going. Amen. (laughs) Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. We could pause right there. There it is. There's the point of Christmas. There's the reason of the season. That's the why of the miracle. God had entered into our world, our flesh, so that through Christ's life and Christ's death, we can be forgiven. Jesus has taken our penalty, he has paid. The price so that we could be restored. We could be reconciled with God. That's what it is. Now, there's other churches and traditions that will focus more on perhaps the mercy ministry, the justice aspect. That's a good thing, right? But that's not the primary thing. There will be other churches that focus on um, perhaps more uh, practical living, right? Like the Bible is God's path for you to live a a good life or a happy life or whatever it may be. All these other variations of the gospel can be implications of it, but here is what is primary. That Jesus Christ came so we could be forgiven. Not only we, but Joseph could be forgiven of his sins. Someone once put it like this, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been fun, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer puts it like this, friends. He says the Christian message is that there is hope for ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, and yes, hope of eternal glory. Let us keep the main thing, the main thing. Joseph hears this in a dream. You see that there's not only the Joseph that was a dreamer in the Old Testament. Now there's the Joseph that's a dreamer in the New Testament. Whereas the Old Testament Joseph dreamt of being served and reigning. This Joseph, he had a certain dream for his life that was getting turned upside down. And a lot of us can relate to this. A lot of men can relate to this. We had a certain plan for our lives. We were going to do this. Achieve that, marry this person, we're going to accumulate all this stuff, and then what? And then what? And then Jesus happened. And then all of a sudden we realize, all right, the story that we wanted to write in our lives might have been a good story, but God's got a better one. He doesn't want to just have you enjoy his good creation for 70, 80, 90 years, however long it may be. No, you are here For a reason and a purpose to be a herald of hope, that there's hope for humanity. So Joseph's story got rewritten. He was a man who had to lay down his hopes, his dreams, and to not be afraid. The angel says the most repeated commandment in all the Bible do not fear. Let's say it again together do not fear. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But this is the most repeated one. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God has sent Christ so that we can be forgiven. But not only that, as we're going to see in a second, God has sent Christ, Emmanuel, so we'll know God is with us. Don't be afraid. Now, what did Joseph have to fear? Joseph had a lot to fear. Not only fear as far as how this new revelation would change his life, change his hopes, change his dreams. But listen, friends, this is so important. What did Joseph have? He's a young man. He probably wasn't wealthy. He only had his reputation. The angel is saying, do not be afraid to take Mary in. Why? Because when you take her in, there goes both of your reputations. He was willing to let his reputation as a just man fall down, be tainted, he was willing to let the world perceive of him in a shameful way to be faithful to his God and to his wife and to his mission in this life. Oh, that God would raise up more Josephs, right? Josephs that wouldn't just talk about Jesus at church, but Josephs that would be heralds of hope outside of church and would say, yeah, the world's not going to get it. The world's not going to understand it. The world has never understood it. But I, in the short amount of time I have in this life, I am going to be a herald of hope and I am going to willing to allow the reputation of the world to be less on me as long as I am honoring God with my life. So the story continues here in verse 22. Chapter concludes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. William Barclay put it like this. Jesus' coming is the final and unanswerable Proof that God cares more than how much money you got in the bank, more than how much prestige you get from your peers, more than how much success in your career, more than how much health you have or how happy your marriage is. This is the proof that God cares for you. So friends, in Matthew chapter one, we see Joseph take this responsibility on. Be obedient to God. Come what may. No matter the cost, Joseph is willing to take this child and to wrap him in swaddling cloth and lay him in a manger. And then when we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 27, you know what happens? Joseph's no longer in the picture. But God raises up another Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Whereas the Joseph of Matthew 1 was a poorer man and he laid down Jesus in the manger and swaddling cloth, Joseph of Arimathea would take the broken Savior, the crucified Christ, and wrap him in linen and lay his body in the manger. We are not the only Joseph. God will raise up other men to be proclaimers and heralds of this hope. So in the end, friends, both Joseph and Joseph of Arimathea understood this. That today the manger is empty. Today the cross is empty. Today the tomb is empty. But the throne of heaven is occupied for eternity by Jesus Christ, our King. Does he reign in your heart? Are we willing to let the world's approval fall so we can be just and justified in God's sight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you for Christ, his coming, his teaching, his power, his miracles, his cross, and his victory. As now, Lord, we turn our gaze to the table. What we really want to focus on is the cross. The bread and the cup are but signs and symbols, a memorial to point us to the greatest destination, the ultimate reality, who is Christ crucified, He who died for our sins and can forgive us. So if that's you this morning, friend, if you know you're not right with God, before you come to the table, come to Jesus. Surrender, believe, hope, Allow him to forgive you all your sin, every sin, past, present, and future. He can do it. He will do it. If you cry out to faith in him right now. If you need words to pray, pray this simple prayer with me. The prayer is simply a guide. What matters most is your faith in Christ. Heavenly Father, I ask for your forgiveness and grace now because I have sinned and am a sinner. Please fill me with your spirit. Grant me the courage like Joseph to follow you. Help me to be a herald of your hope this Christmas. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.